We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon. You can go right from here, right to the Sabres game. It's your Buffalo Sabres pregame. And yes, that's not a miss. That's not a typo. The Sabres are the national televised game today at noon on the NBC network right before the final round of PGA golf. Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe. We are truly the pregame show for sure leading up to this. Uh, Joe, you know, I, you're an, you and I are both big sports fans. And uh, I tweeted out something yesterday about the Sabres. It's like I feel weirdly compelled to watch the team. It's sort of like a bad car accident. You can't help but look. And I just, uh, it amazes me how bad they can be consistently game in and game out. I just, it's the old SMH. I am shaking my head every day, and yet I can't look away. I just can't get over it. No, I mean, this, this is the third time in four days that we will be watching the Buffalo Sabres play the New York Islanders. And the Islanders have got to be licking their chops. I mean, this is a great way to pick up a couple of points without too much effort, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't feel like you're going to come up against a team that really cares, shows any passion, hits anybody, shoots the puck instead of passing it. Unbelievable. So, Joe, well, our show is politics, current events. This all kind of ties in because I asked the question last week on Twitter and on my Facebook page. And by the way, if you want to tweet me, it's at Brenda Celeste, at Brenda Celeste. The question was, who goes first, Cuomo or Kruger? And believe it or not, they're still both there. I can't believe a week later both guys are still in place, especially Kruger, because I think it'll take a little more time for Cuomo to, to get out if, in fact, he is either impeached or resigned. I uh, I think it will be Kruger, and I actually think if they lose another game 5-2 to two today, I think Ralph Kruger doesn't, doesn't get on the plane back to Buffalo. That's just me. You know, Joe, uh, it's assuming they can even score two goals. Uh, you know, I, I'm amazed if they even score a goal. They're that bad. It, it it really is something. But like you said, Brenda, at noon, I'll have it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feel that way, too? Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to watch it. You know, it, it's just I don't know if it's now so I can talk about it or just because that's for 32 years. You know, the game's on. The game's on TV. Yep. Yep, uh, right there with you. So we'll see what happens at noon. But in the meantime, we have a pretty busy uh, hardline show. And by the way, your calls are always welcome at 716-803-0930. Same number for the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board as well. Joining us uh, this week, we've got Ed Rath, we've got Monica Wallace, and Joe, I'll let you intro our first guest, who I really appreciate joining us this week. Yes, attorney Todd Aldinger from Lipsitz Green, Chimay, and Cambria. Did I get that right, Todd? 
Yes, you did, Joe. All right, Todd Aldinger joins us uh, this morning on Hardline. Todd, let's get right into it. You know, there's a plethora of legal action going on. What is the latest when it comes to restaurants um, and against the state? Well, um, <clears throat> on Friday, the uh, the state had tried to again seek an emergency stay after we won and tried to reimpose the curfew. Um, they did that again after we won the second time, uh, but this time the uh, appellate. Justice um, Justice Curran, who was hearing the emergency stay application, he denied it, and he denied it on the basis of a case, um, a sportsman's tavern case, which Paul Cambria had won earlier in um, the COVID restrictions. And that case was uh, related to the inability to advertise for live music. And, and Paul won that case on First Amendment grounds, and they tried to appeal that as well. We took that all the way to the court of uh, the fourth appellate division, and the fourth appellate division said that there was no automatic stay, and so that we got good case law from that case back in uh, the fall. And fortunately, the judges saw that case law and didn't impose a stay. So, for the 90 restaurants that we won for, they can stay open till 4 a.m. now. Um, but you know, the rest of the restaurants are still subject to that 11 p.m. curfew from that one executive order. So the restaurants that are still having to close at 11, if they bring a lawsuit and they can get their own, they could get their own victory and then join restaurants that can stay open till four, but they have to file a lawsuit of their own? Yeah, because of the procedural posture we're in, you have to demonstrate that you have a, a specific loss um, that is being caused by the curfew. And so the 90 restaurants that we brought the case for, they were able to demonstrate that loss. Um, but the judge can't rule any more broad than that because, you know, their other restaurants haven't been demonstrating that loss. So other restaurants could bring the suit and they'd likely be successful if they won. I hope that's not necessary. I hope that, you know, the state assembly and the legislature use their review powers and try to cancel some of these directives, um, especially the, you know, the curfew one and the requirement to order food with your alcoholic beverage. I was listening to the debate when they were debating the new, the new bill and the Senate deputy leader, uh, Senator Gianaris, he himself said on the floor that neither of these restrictions were reasonably related to controlling the spread of COVID. So I think you do have, uh, maybe some Democrats who would also vote to repeal these two specific directives. Todd, for the restaurants that did not participate in the initial uh, lawsuit, if they were to join in now, as you said, how quickly do you think it would happen that they would have relief or, you know, be included in the, uh, the uh, curfew being removed? Uh, it would depend when the judge scheduled um, the hearing on it. It would, you know, be sometime probably between 10 days in a week or 10 days in two weeks, rather. So, you know, it wouldn't be immediate, I don't think. It's, you know, got to be so difficult when you hear about this victory and then you realize that there are so many restaurants that are still on the outside looking in. Uh, have you heard from any of those folks who kind of are kicking themselves saying, I wish we had joined in? Yeah, I think you are, but you also have to, you know, realize that a lot of these restaurants don't have the cash flow to participate in the lawsuit right now. I mean, they've been hurting for over a year now, and it's uh, you know bringing a lawsuit isn't cheap. 
So, you know, I, I don't fault them for not bringing a lawsuit, especially when no one thought that uh, we could win against Cuomo. But, you know, I think a lot of them are kicking themselves, in, you know, in retrospect. Right. Well, that's just it. I think you nailed it. Here they are suffering, you know, as it is, hanging on by a thread to survive, and then saying that they would like to participate, perhaps, in the lawsuit, but don't have the money to do it. It, it just makes this compounded, I think, for them. Uh, very difficult situation, for sure. So, um, now, when it comes to live venues, uh, how is that included in this, or is that a separate suit? How does that play out? What are you asking for live venues? Like, you know, are, are they, for, is it, do you mean for bars to advertise that a band can play? Right. That type of thing where live music, live venues, your lawsuit that, um, that, you know, Paul Cambria won on first amendment grounds. And, you know, that kind of set the stage for the current lawsuit to get, the uh, TRO, um, continued. So that, that's all what I was alluding to with that. Um, for some of the other, any of the other directives, whether it's, you know, wedding venues, um, entertainment venues, things like that, those are all going to have to be challenged separately. And that's kind of how we've been able to do this as we go after one thing at a time, right? We went after the gyms and we went after the restaurants, uh, closing time, you know, anything that's more global than that, you're, you're probably going to need a political solution. And you, know, you have two guests on later today that I think would be good questions to ask them if you know, they're up for looking at some of these individual directives and repealing them as they have the ability to do now. Todd, uh, pardon my lack of legal knowledge. Beside watching Boston Legal and Night Court, I don't know much about the legal system. But these uh, bars and restaurants that have, you know, joined the lawsuit with you, down the road, would they be able to go after the state for any money lost when these curfews were put in place and say that it, the curfews or the food with item, that they lost money because New York State acted in ways that didn't really control the spread of COVID? Or is that a bit of a reach? I think that's probably a bit of a reach. Um, you know, the one thing you'd have is like, you might have to take a Fifth Amendment takings argument if the state completely shut them down, but that's that's not what the state did. The state allowed them to operate, you know, for takeout. They allowed them to operate at reduced capacity. I think it's a very reach of a lawsuit to do that. I think the best thing you can try to do is is get back open and get back to normal business. All right, and then now with the push for schools to open. These lawsuits, are they coming this week, and is it going to be against a group of schools, or are we talking about uh, districts in general? You know, our firm's not involved in that uh, school lawsuit. I I know that another firm is bringing that lawsuit, um, so I really can't comment on it um, because I, I don't have any knowledge of what the basis of the suit's going to be. With Could you tell us if, in your legal opinion, they have a suit that would get the schools open or do you is just no comment at all? Yeah. I mean, I have, I would have to, you know, to, to look at these things, you have to do a pretty deep dive. Um, I, I, I know what the kind of the issue is. The issue here is, you know, there's two sets of regulations and one set says six feet or a mask and the other says six feet and a mask. And if some of these classrooms, you can't fit enough desks in the classroom to have them all six feet apart. So I think the, the essence of that lawsuit is going to be determining you know, what regulation takes precedent, whether the or one or the and one. 
but I haven't done enough of a deep dive to know um, which way it, it should come out. Okay. Todd, uh, I know you've worked with um, some of the other firms, too. Your firm and certainly Hogan Willick has been in the spotlight when it comes to this type of litigation. Uh, are you working with any other firms uh, at the moment, or do you feel like uh, your firm and the Hogan Willick firm are in the forefront right now and can handle the cases if more were to come down the pike? Yeah, I think that us and Hogan Willick have been handling the majority of these cases. Um, you know, we got a couple wins early with the sportsman's case, with the athletes unleash case. And then uh, we uh, both filed suits at the same time against the orange zone. And we got, you know, we both won in back to back cases in two, in two days. And then we decided to, uh, to team up together on the, on the curfew um, because um, why, why bring two suits? You know, when you can bring one and, you know, double the brain power. And then we were successful in that. But, I, I don't know of any anyone else who's bring a lot of suits besides our firms, and um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good reasons to bring suits. Now, I think we've created great case law, and I think a lot of other attorneys, you know, would be wise if they had clients that needed to challenge these directives to look at, you know, our papers from the cases we won, and uh, you know, really copy and paste a lot of those arguments because. <laughs> Multiple judges have now saw those arguments and said they're good. You know, if I remember my uh, legal terms correctly, is it stare decisis where you rely on case study? Um, as you just pointed out, Todd, you're now establishing that case study. So from a legal standpoint, how difficult was it to to form your arguments? I mean, we've never lived in a pandemic in our lifetimes. So what was it like for you and your colleagues in the firm to come up with your legal arguments? You know, well, at first you were watching a lot of these um, firms bring cases in federal court, and they were getting thrown out because of this Jacobson case from, you know, the early part of last century. Like, I think it was a 1906 case. So we said, well, we got to keep this out of federal court. Let's go into state court and let's really look at is this type of separation of powers allowed? And what you need to have if you're going to delegate this much authority is you need a limit. And so we got to figure out what the limit is. And then we just read the st statute and the plain text of the statute said that, you know, you could impose these for 30 days. So that was a pretty good limit, which, you know, might make the executive order is constitutional, but if it's going to be constitutional, then you have to actually enforce that limit. And that's kind of the argument that we brought. So we, you know, we did a deep dive into the statutory text, into other times where the legislator has delegated extreme authority to, you know, either the executive branch or the governor. And, you know, we kind of pieced together a, a very convincing argument um, that at least three judges have bought that say, these executive orders, they can only last for 30 days. And after 30 days, if they want to be, if the governor wants to continue them, he's got to go back to the legislature and ask for them to be continued. Todd, you mentioned Athletes Unleashed. Now, if I remember that case correctly, they were able to reopen and masks within Athletes Unleashed are optional, or do you have to have a mask while working out at that particular location? Right. So masks, um, you have to wear them while you're working out. 
Okay. I okay. I thought when they first won it, but now the masks thing is that going to be the next when it come when we when we're talking about gyms? Do you see any gyms going after the state for the mask mandate? You know, like hey, I can work out six feet apart, but could I take my mask off if I'm six feet apart from the next person working out? Do you think that would be a, a case brought if the mask man- mandate continues, especially at gyms? Yeah, I think someone might want to bring that. Someone might want to bring that case. I don't know that it makes. Uh, business sense for a gym to bring that case again these cases are not cheap to litigate and to win and i'm not you know sure how much business you're losing by requiring someone to wear a mask i mean i think the bigger problem was when the state was saying to athletes unleashed that you could only have one third of your former class size and so they're teaching you know 20 people at a time the state said you can only have five to six people and if you ever looked at athletes unleashed it's a giant warehouse so I think that was kind of the bigger problem that we had to um, address with that case is letting this this gym teach classes of a size that makes sense for the facility that he's in and allows him to stay in business because he, he couldn't stay in business if he was only allowed to teach five or six people at a time. Well, again, I mean, really an unfolding situation, Todd. Uh, do you expect... Uh as 2021 unfolds and things start to progress in the right way with uh, vaccines, do you think this will die down by the summer uh, in terms of lawsuits, or do you expect to keep busy with more of these lawsuits? You know, I think that there's, um, it's going to be a little changing landscape now. Um, The new bill that was passed by the Senate and the Assembly does create some type of uh, check and balance but it'll be up to see if the if the assembly and the senate actually use that power. Um, they haven't really done anything to check and balance these directives for over a year now. So it'll be interesting to see if they decide to actually start using their powers now. Um, and if they do, I think I think they'll get rid of the, the worst and the, the least reasonable directives, um, the ones that are the easiest to sue on. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we have a political resolution to this and every business isn't having to, you know, pay tens of thousands of dollars in legal bills to be able to open back up. And we can do it in a in a more uh, orderly fashion than having to litigate everything through the courts. Right. As if a pandemic isn't bad enough and there's all of this on top of it. So but thankfully, uh, there are attorneys like you who can help people navigate these uncharted waters. Todd Aldinger, thank you so much for your time this morning, Todd. We appreciate it. You bet. We'll be back uh, with much more to talk with uh, the Cuomo news, the COVID news, much more to talk about. And your phone calls are welcome as well. It's Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy on Hardline. And T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, 
the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to Hardline. Brenda Alacy here along with Joe Beamer. And uh, we welcome next on our show, State Senator Ed Rath. Good morning, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Brenda and Joe. I'm happy to be here. Well, there's certainly a lot to talk about, Ed. And first and foremost, uh, what a difference a year makes with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was making national news last year at this time for his handling of the coronavirus and was holding daily updates and uh, kind of became a national media darling. A year later, he now finds himself embroiled in a very, very nasty sexual harassment allegation uh, situation. Ed, as a state senator, uh, what can you do about Cuomo? I know that uh, you have some strong opinions about him. I do. And first and foremost, Brenda, it's an honor to serve as a senator for the 61st District. And I'll tell you, the first nine weeks in Albany have been anything but boring. (laughs) Things have been uh, quite crazy in our state capitol. And there have been swirling allegations uh, against this governor now for many, many weeks. And uh, if it had to do with the nursing homes and the cover-up and the lies surrounding uh, the nursing home deaths that we had in New York State, and now uh, these emerging sexual harassment allegations against this governor, Everything that is surrounding him right now is extremely alarming and very frustrating for the residents across New York State. And I'll tell you, as a father of three daughters, three amazing daughters, uh, you hope that this type of behavior doesn't exist in our world and in our state. But unfortunately, we are reminded all too often that it does. It is sickening. This is a toxic culture in Albany right now, and the governor has created an environment that we need to make sure we root out across New York State. And I don't get the impression that he will resign, though. Do you think he can be impeached? Well, I'll tell you, in many ways, uh, this governor has lost the capacity to lead New York State. And most certainly, he has lost the capacity to lead New York State independently. That's what he's been doing for the past year. In the beginning, he did a very good job. uh, And there was the need for him to have his unilateral control. But now that we have two independent investigations looking into this governor, We also have, in many ways, a very loud call to repeal the governor's emergency powers. And that's something that I want to talk about, what happened Friday in the state Senate and what uh, was presented and what was voted on and what the reality of what happened on Friday in the state legislature. Many people think that we rescinded the governor's emergency powers, but that's not exactly what happened. And this is the reason why I voted against it. What we did was we only rescinded the governor's forward emergency powers and his capacity going forward to institute executive orders. That's into the future. What we didn't do was address the emergency powers and executive orders that he's instituted over the past year. Everything remains in place, Brenda, and there's 96 executive orders that in many ways intrude on every aspect of our daily lives. If it has to do with schools and our children getting back to school, 
uh, which I think is mission critical. If it is the travel restrictions, the incredible regulations, oppressive regulations on our restaurants, weddings, social gatherings, the list goes on and on and on. And we had the ability to have these emergency powers and these executive orders sunset on April 30th. That was the light at the end of the tunnel. And now that light at the end of the tunnel has been snuffed out because these past emergency powers and these past executive orders will remain in place for an undetermined amount of time. And is it just partisan politics? I mean, it's hard to believe that uh, the, the sunset would not take place, given the, uh, the situation that Cuomo's in with the nursing home deaths, the sexual harassment allegations. Uh, what does it come down to, just partisan politics? Well, you know, what I said to my colleagues on the floor of the Senate, Brenda, was I said we should have a simple repeal. We should have a clean break without any strings attached. But unfortunately, the other side of the aisle decided that there needed to be some conditions and some strings attached. And I said that was wrong because the people of New York State want their state legislature going back to work. There are co-equal branches of government in New York State. We each have our responsibility for checks and balances. But right now, there are no checks and balances. And the governor's complete control, his complete unilateral control over New York State will continue, and that's wrong because I believe he's lost the capacity to lead this state independently. So, Ed, what happened? Because, you know, this time last week, it sounded like members of his own party wanted to fully take away his emergency powers. And then the way he made his emergency powers sound at his press briefing on Wednesday was that he's pretty much going to be able to do what he's been doing. Um, Now, that might not be the reality, um, but what exactly are the governor's powers once this bill is signed? Well, it's a good question, Joe. And clarification is really important because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. Everything that we've had in place over the past year remains in place. All 96 executive orders, like I said, impacting our restaurants, our schools, our churches, our travel, our weddings. What we have going forward is the governor cannot institute any new executive orders without sign off from the state house. And so to me, that's a condition and that's a string attached. Also, what's different is everything was supposed to sunset on April 30th. This was supposed to be all over with. The executive orders would be repealed. The governor would no longer have his emergency powers. Now we have to wait until the emergency disaster declaration is lifted. Who knows when that emergency disaster declaration is going to be lifted, but at that time, then his powers will go away. So everything that has affected us for the past year remains in place, and that's why I was frustrated, and that's why I voted against it, because we have to get this government away from intruding on our daily lives. It's basically affected everything in our daily lives, and we need to have the state legislature stand up to this governor with courage and conviction and say, the time has come, Mr. Governor, for you to step aside and for us to lead in our role as a state legislature. And you're seeing some of the call from downstate Democrats, but nobody in Western New York, as far as I know, uh, from the Democratic side of the aisle has called for him to resign. Have you had discussions with your colleagues from Western New York about that who are Democrats? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, Brenda, everyone's talking about it. And um, for me, there are two independent investigations that right now uh, are being uh, brought about against this governor with regards to the nursing home deaths 
and the lies and the cover-ups surrounding the nursing home deaths, as well as these incredible and unacceptable sexual harassment allegations. To me, I think in both investigations, we need to let them unfold. There is a due process responsibility that we have, and if he is found guilty of the lies and the nursing home cover-up and the, and the ensuing deaths that happened, or if he's found guilty of the sexual harassment allegations, he needs to step down. He is losing the capacity with every single passing day to lead this state. And it's frustrating to me because I believe that the state government needs to lead by example, and this governor has done the exact opposite of that. And the people of New York State deserve better than that. And talking about the things he's already passed, so his his previous executive orders that now will be in law until there is uh, the decoration is over. Um, can those things be looked at? Are those are each individual, uh, you know, the the mask mandate, the thirty three percent capacity? Are all these things going to be looked at one by one by the legislature now that these that um, the bill has been passed? Are you guys going to vote? Uh, to maybe get rid of certain restrictions or to loosen the grip on certain restrictions? Is that is there plans to do that in, in the Senate this week? Joe, that's an excellent question. And, uh, in fact, we are going to start looking at uh, each and every one of the individual executive orders in New York State, 96 in all. And uh, if we have to look at them one by one, discuss them one by one, and vote on them one by one, I'm prepared to do that. And I'm prepared to put the time in and the research and the advocacy to analyze each and every one of these, because this state has gone too far in maintaining these intrusive executive orders for as long as it has been. So I would stay tuned on that. We're looking into it. We're having discussions of it. And if we have to do it one by one, I'm prepared to put the work in to do that. Talking with State Senator Ed Rath, uh, first nine weeks in office, Ed, as you said, uh, certainly memorable, uh, and I don't think it'll be uh, calm waters uh, going forward anytime soon, uh, especially with the sexual harassment and nursing home deaths. But as you know, we have a text board here at WBEN, Ed, and a couple of people have brought up good points, and I'd love your comments on this. One texter writes in that a normal job, people would be suspended with or without pay, why can't the governor be removed temporarily until the investigation is completed? And then secondly, another uh, individual writes in saying that sexual harassment in this case is a smokescreen for the nursing home deaths. How do you feel about uh, those two points? I, I agree uh, with both of those two points in many ways. And uh, it would, this would be the responsibility of uh, the state legislature to step forward with regards to uh, a uh, suspension or a temporary removal, removal of the governor. And I found that idea interesting because I said this earlier, he's lost the capacity to lead the state. And he certainly has lost the capacity to lead the state independently. And with regards to the smokescreen uh, with the sexual allegations, sexual harassment allegations, as well as the nursing home deaths and the nursing home cover-up, both are shameful and both need to be investigated to the fullest extent of the law. The nursing home deaths and the nursing home cover-up is something we've been talking about for just about a year now. And this governor and his administration never, ever came clean to the residents of New York State. We need to get that investigated and we need to get some answers because there are 15,000 people who died in our nursing homes. This governor has never apologized. This governor has never fessed up. And this governor has never leveled with the people of New York State. 
He owes that to us, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. And if I have the capacity to, to advocate for fast-tracking these investigations, you can all rest assured that I will do that because we need answers as soon as possible. New Yorkers are fed up with business as usual in our state, and that's what we're seeing in many ways out of the state legislature from last week and certainly out of this governor's business as usual. Ed, I'm not trying to give you a, a key to uh, badmouth your colleagues, um, but you know now that now that the legislature is probably going, you know, you guys are going to have to um, make more decisions that the governor had been doing himself. Do you see, uh, this is a, a, a roundabout way of asking this, but do you see a chance that, say we have a week where COVID, case, COVID cases see a spike, do you see um, non the legislature, the Senate, the Assembly, do you see you guys, a vote being taken that would increase um, restrictions, shut down restaurants again, um, you know, go back to where we were around the holidays. Do you see that happening now that the governor can't make that decision? Well, that's a good question, Joe. And um, let me just tell you very quickly that uh, when I uh, work in government, I work with an open hand and I believe in collaboration and reasonable people can come to reasonable solutions together. That's how I work in government. And we have to follow um, the science. And we have to pay attention to you know, what the data is showing us. And right now, as you see, all the arrows are pointing downwards. Uh, if we see any type of spike or any type of increase, we'll address that when it comes before us. But we also have a lot of very important work that right now is uh, just that we're being distracted from focusing on, such as the $180 billion budget that we have to approve in the next month, such as the responsibility that we have to get our small businesses back up on their feet doing the work that they need to do. And I'm actually proud that the first piece of legislation that I proposed is a Save Our Small Business program that is a hand up for our small businesses, because New York State has not done its part to help small businesses. So stay tuned on that small business program, which is taking regional economic development money and actually pushing it into our small businesses so they can you know, get back to thriving and prospering in our great state. But when it comes to working across the aisle, I will always do that, Joe. And if we have um, new data that confronts us in a different way with COVID-19, I look forward to those discussions and finding a solution that the state legislature is involved in and not just this governor. Ed, I live in the 61st District, so uh, I received your mailer. You're my state senator. Uh, and in your mailer that uh, recently came out, you talked about uh, what you just indicated about finding creative solutions to rebuild the economy post-COVID-19. You also mentioned about needing to invest in local roads and infrastructures, especially with winter-damaged roads. Uh, what uh, What's happening in that regard? Sure. Uh, if you talk about investments uh, in our communities uh, when it comes to roads and bridges and infrastructure. This has been a high priority of mine ever since I first started serving as an elected official. Because if you invest in roads and bridges and infrastructure, you're creating jobs, guaranteeing public safety, and improving the quality of life. The governor was woefully inadequate in his money that he provided for infrastructure uh, for his proposed 2022 budget. I will advocate to increase our CHIPS funding I will advocate to make sure that our emergency disaster money is increased to at least the same levels as last year because we need to fix our infrastructure. As we are coming out of winter right now, pothole season is going to be upon us. And that is a constant reminder of the responsibility we have to invest in our roads and our bridges. And many roads in my district uh, are very heavily traveled thoroughfares which where we have school buses, 
first responders, uh, fire companies traveling along these roads. And if they're having to do a slalom course to travel down our roads, uh, that's woefully inadequate. So infrastructure money is going to be a huge priority of mine, Brenda, and also the fact that we need to prioritize our small businesses. Like I said earlier, uh, they haven't seen any relief, nor any prioritization, nor awareness from New York State. So I'm going to step forward and make sure that they're prioritized moving forward with millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars of unspent economic development resources in last year's budget that is accessible to us. And let's put that back into the hands of our small businesses so they can get back on their feet. Ed, a question about recreational marijuana and uh, mobile sports betting. Where do we stand on that? Will those be two things we can look for by the summer? Those are both very timely issues, Joe, and uh, we are in discussions on both right now. And uh, I have reservations on on both issues, uh, and I always believe very firmly in doing my due diligence, getting my mind around an issue, and also talking with all the subject matter experts before I make a decision. When it comes to recreational marijuana, I'm going to be talking very closely with the healthcare industry, uh, the education and the, um, the teachers and the students and the mental health experts, as well as law enforcement. Uh, when it comes to recreational marijuana, we need to proceed with incredible caution before we pass this. And I don't like the justification of saying, well, it's going to be a revenue generator for New York State. Well, I don't believe in revenue generators if it's going to put our children and our communities at risk. And when it comes to mobile sports betting, we need to make sure that if we are going to pass and approve mobile sports betting, that it is something that works for all of the organizations that are involved in uh, gambling in New York State. Uh, right within my district is Batavia Downs, and everyone knows about Batavia Downs in uh, Genesee County, right in the heart of the city of Batavia. They need to be included in this process, and they need to also have a capacity to participate. We can't just have mobile sports betting for some and not for others. That's not an appropriate model. So to give you a little bit of um, information about that, you can tell I'm paying attention to these, and I will do my due diligence before I make any decision on either of them. Ed, uh, you served for a number of years in the county legislature and now uh, have moved to uh, move down the road, uh, representing the 61st in uh, Albany as a state senator. I imagine that you still talk to a lot of your constituents uh, in your legislative district, though. What have you heard about the vaccination rollout uh, in this area? Great question, Brenda. Uh, this is another area uh, of New York state government that uh, has not, I believe, done its best job or put its best foot forward, um, there has been an incredible lack of transparency uh, and awareness on the vaccine rollout. Uh, And I believe that local government and local community officials know what's best for their communities. So I actually held a roundtable in January talking about the vaccine rollout, and everyone was frustrated, concerned, and disappointed with how New York State has handled the vaccine rollout. And I get the fact that there are logistical challenges and there's only a limited number of vaccines. But when you leave our local governments as to um, them not understanding what's happening with regards to the amount of vaccines that they're receiving, and they've been promised a certain number of vaccines, and then it's taken away from them, that is absolutely unacceptable. I believe that we should be uh, leaning in and empowering our local counties and our local communities with regards to vaccination instead of this top-down approach from New York State. Let me give you one more example. Uh, I heard from 
countless individuals in Genesee County uh, saying that they had been left out in the cold and there had not been a max mass vaccination site in Genesee County. So I specifically asked Department of Health Commissioner Zucker about that and requested a mass vaccination site in Genesee County. This was, uh, let's see, it'll be a week ago Thursday. On Friday, he got back with Genesee County and myself and said that mass vaccination site was going to be put into place. So when you advocate and when you um, help connect the dots, you can get things done. So now we're doing these mass vaccinations in Genesee County. but We also still have many areas, rural areas and agricultural areas across New York State that have not received enough vaccines. If it's in the southern tier, if it's within the areas that I represent of Genesee County, we need to get these vaccines into the arms of people equitably, equitably across all of New York State. And uh, there's some challenges with regards to rural broadband and broadband deserts in these agricultural communities, as well as broadband deserts within um, our urban areas, as well as transportation challenges. If we go to the local officials, we can get it right instead of the state telling us what to do. So I'm fighting to make sure we have local control on vaccine rollout going forward. State Senator Ed Grath, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, Joe. It's good talking with you and have a good day. Thank you. You too. That was State Senator Ed Rath coming up next, Assemblywoman Monica Wallace. But I do want to say before we go to break, uh, vaccines are getting in the arms of people slowly but surely. Uh, According to a texter, I'm sorry, a person on Twitter, 2.9 million were given a vaccine shot yesterday. We're on pace right now, over 2 million a day. That's great news. Someone said that, Brenda, we weren't going to mention that. I don't know why we wouldn't mention it. It's great news. My fiance got her second shot on Thursday, um, so I'm happy she is fully vaccinated. When my name is called, believe me, whatever shot they have on the shelf, I'm I'm hoping it's the Johnson & Johnson one, but whatever they have on the shelf, I'll be ready. I will have my sleeves up and uh, ready to go. Right now, 8.5% of uh, those in New York have been given both shots 16.9% have at least one shot. So good news. The vaccines are moving. They're getting in the arms of people. And we would never not say those numbers. That is amazing news that we keep on bringing to you. And hopefully you are um, in the the group next like I am. I'm in the 1C and I I can't wait uh, until I can make my, uh, my schedule. Joe, I'll be right there next to you rolling up my sleeve. I can't wait either. Uh, my sister had her shot uh, on Thursday, so she's done. And a couple of other family members have had their shots as well. Uh, I'd be interested in knowing if anybody wants to call in, 803-0930. What was the process like for you? Uh, after we talk with Monica Wallace, we'd have time to take some calls. So 803-0930. What was the uh, setup? I remember Kevin Hardwick was praising the setup at uh, the UB site, how well established it was, how it moved along efficiently. Uh, from what I hear from family members, they didn't have to wait long. It was very well done and well organized. Yeah. Uh, and also, people have had some side effects, but they seem to generally last about a day, day and a half, Joe. So uh, I can't wait to get my shot. I wish I could go yesterday. Yeah. I mean, as someone who, you know, with the flu shot, maybe just has, have a sore arm. I've never had a real bad reaction to the flu shot. But like you said, Brenda, some people are having, you know, aches for a day. I know when Katie got her second shot, she felt great right after it. But the next day, just a little sluggish, you know, but 24 hours later, you're right back and, you know, back to normal. And you got, you've got the vaccine. So that, that's not bad news at all. When we come back, we're talking to Monica Wallace. But first, let's get an update from ABC and Alan Harris.